Today on Blue 58, leading up to the NFL draft, everybody seemed to assume the Packers would take a wide receiver at some point, myself included. They didn't, so where does the position stand now? Let's take a look. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. It's time to talk wide receivers. The Packers have 10 of them on their roster right now. Eight of them, if you count Reggie Bagleton signing a futures deal before the end of the 2019 season during the playoffs, eight of them were under contract with the Packers at some point during the 2019 season. If I told you that in February, you probably wouldn't believe me. First, you would say, how are you figuring this out? Are you a time traveler of some point, that of some sort? And I would say, yes, that would lead to an entirely different discussion. But most people, I think, who follow the Packers would be surprised to learn from someone coming back from May 2020 to February and telling them that the Packers really didn't do much at receiver over draft weekend. They added one undrafted free agent. You'd also probably be interested to know about this pandemic that's going on. But again, that's an entirely different set of questions for this time-traveling draft analyst that we're talking about. I think no matter how high you are on the guys the Packers had on their roster last year at receiver, it's still kind of weird as an approach to roster building to look at a receiving core or look at a group of guys that you've had at some point throughout the season and say, hey, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, Jake Kumro, Darius Shepard, Malik Taylor, I think we're pretty much there. That's basically the group that I want to have. To me, that's a little bit strange. And the Packers, apparently that's what they thought because they only added Reggie Bagleton, Devin Funchess, and Daryl Stewart to that group. That's not a lot of roster turnover at a position that was, I think, suboptimal at best for the Packers. Was it making the team actively worse? I don't know if I want to go that far. I think it's fair to say that the wide receiver position could have been better in 2019. The Packers did not agree because they only added Devin Funchess, Reggie Bagleton, and Daryl Stewart. It sure is a ballsy approach by Brian Gutekunst to say, hey, we've got an aging Hall of Fame quarterback, and we're going to make it easy for this guy by trying to set up the pass with the run with big bruising backs, a strong offensive line, and receivers that can just bully guys. When everyone else in the NFL is going the opposite direction, we want to really open things up on offense by having a lot of good receivers on the field, a lot of speed, The Packers aren't going that direction. But all that approach stuff aside, this is the group we've got. Barring something incredibly unforeseen between now and the start of training camp, whenever that might be, this is going to be the receiving group that the Packers are going to go into 2020 with. So what do we make of this group? I think we got to go player by player through this and and really talk about who these guys are. I think there are three main categories here. And then one guy who's kind of in a category all by himself. The categories are, put him on the roster, I'm curious, and I've seen enough. Guys who are going to end up on the roster are pretty straightforward. 
but I only think there's two of them right now. Guys, and this is not necessarily that there aren't guys in, in other groups that are going to be basically locks to make the roster, but these are guys that we know a lot about because we've seen them around, and we don't need to see anything more because we know that they're good. So for me, that's Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. Devontae Adams, duh, of course. He's not going to not make the roster. So we don't even need to talk about Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard, too, kind of a pretty well-known commodity. He seemed to be one of the few receivers Aaron Rodgers seemed to trust in 2019. Big, athletic, can be productive. Maybe not the guy you want to be your number two. Maybe not a guy you want to be your number three. But you know what you're getting in Alan Lazard, and he can do a lot of really nice things. Those are the guys that I feel like we know a lot about, enough that you can just say, yep, put them on the roster, and we're pretty much good to go. There's a few more guys that I'm curious about. And I would say that I'm very curious about Reggie Bagleton. Matt Schneidman of The Athletic did a great piece on Bagleton's journey to this point, the adversity he went through. And it's really easy to see why he might have a little bit of a different perspective on a football career than most players coming into the league. He's not technically a rookie for reasons that really don't merit any explanation. He's considered a first-year player, but he's had a long road to get here. He had a long road just to get to the CFL. He had a long road just to get to Lamar University. Rough road for Reggie Bagleton, but check out the story. You can see why he seems to be a pretty resilient guy. The question is, is is he going to be any good in the NFL? There are reasons to be skeptical, and at least one reason, I think, to be very encouraged. So you see all the raw numbers from him in Canada. Hundreds of receptions, what seems like a lot of yards, though they do play a longer season. It's more passing-oriented even than the pass-oriented NFL. It's hard to put those numbers in context, so just kind of lay all that aside. Here's, I think, the context you need for Reggie Bagleton's career prospects moving forward. Since 1990, there have been 11 wide receivers to have 10 or more catches playing in their first NFL season at age 26 or older. That's the age that Bagleton's going to be in 2019. So that's a pretty slim group. Since 1990, 30 years of NFL football, Just 11 guys have only had 10 catches, at least 10 catches, playing in their first NFL season at age 26 or older. Not a lot of guys are making productive debuts this late in their 20s. But it can happen. In fact, it happened very recently. It happened last year in the NFL. Last year, there were two players in the NFL who played their first real NFL football at age 26. Byron Pringle for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs and Duke Williams of the Buffalo Bills. Pringle had 12 catches for 170 yards and touchdown. Williams had 12 catches for 166 yards and one touchdown, and he did it in just four games and also catching passes from Josh Allen 
or whoever happened to be playing quarterback in Buffalo whenever he finally made his debut last season. The point is, it can happen. And Duke Williams should be especially encouraging for people rooting for Reggie Bagleton to succeed because Williams is a former CFL wide receiver. Williams led the CFL in receiving in 2018. Williams also happens to be significantly bigger than Reggie Bagleton, but broadly speaking, they're fairly similar in their paths to the NFL. There are some broad strokes that would lead you to believe that it is at least possible for Bagleton to make this roster. I think also working in his favor is something that I have harped on for a long time with the Packers. They don't have a very diverse receiving group. They have a lot of tall, long strider type guys. Bagleton is not that. And if the Packers want to do anything with a more traditional slot receiver, he might be that guy. There's also the possibility that the Packers want to go really big in the slot. And that is where I think Devin Funches makes me really curious. He can do basically all the things that Jimmy Graham was supposed to do, except more athletically, or really athletically at all. Just a big guy who can get vertical, who can line up on the outside, who can line up in the slot, who can find soft spots over the middle, who could just be a physical mismatch for opposing defenses. And his hands are probably better than you've been led to believe. The book on Devin Funches is that he has a case of the drops now and then, which is true. But he also wasn't playing with an ideal quarterback situation in Carolina. According to Sports Information Solutions, in his last full season, and I realize we are going back here a ways, but in his last full season, 2018, Devin Funches caught 81% of the catchable balls thrown his way. Those are balls that are deemed to have a reasonable chance of being caught by the intended receiver. For comparison's sake, Devontae Adams caught 83% of the balls, catchable balls thrown his way last year. Now, he did have a little bit of a, a down season. Not a bad season, almost said bad, but a little bit of a down season for his standards. But he's been in that ballpark, usually a little bit higher, sure. But Funches, if he can be almost as good as a bad year for Devontae Adams, a down year for Devontae Adams in terms of just catching the ball, I think that's just fine. I'm also very curious to see what we get from Equinemius St. Brown in 2020. I think he was better than people think in 2018, and I think people think he was pretty good. He had 10 explosive plays, according to our numbers. Those are those are uh, receptions of 16 or more yards. That was tied for fourth on the Packers in 2018, behind just Adams, Aaron Jones, and Jimmy Graham, believe it or not. He also had a stretch of five in three games at one point. I think he's a bigger play guy even than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. His average depth of target was 13.9 yards in 2018, a full yard further down the field than MVS. And MVS also had more yards after the catch than Equinemius St. Brown did. So St. Brown was doing a lot more damage through the air than MVS was. He was going deeper down the field, and that's something the Packers can always use more of. I'm intrigued to see what he does a year removed from a pretty bad injury. Finally, I'm also curious to see what we might be able to get out of Malik Taylor. You may have forgotten a little bit about him, but he was a 
factor in the preseason last year, kind of lost a bit of a numbers game at wide receiver. He wasn't Devontae Adams, he wasn't a draft pick, and he didn't have much in the way of return abilities. That puts you on the outside looking in in a crowded wide receiver group. But he's a good athlete, 8.32 relative athletic score. That puts him in the elite category. Just to put a finer point on it, ran a 4.46 40-yard dash, not too shabby. The next category is guys from whom I think I have seen enough. Start this off with Daryl Stewart. Yep, rookie coming in. He was not wildly productive in college. He is not an overwhelming athlete. I think I've seen enough to know that he's probably not going to crack the 53 here. I've also seen enough from Darius Shepard. Fun story last year. Yeah, he can do some stuff in the return game as a punt returner. Probably got the short end of the stick the way that Sean Menenga was approaching things with his punt return game last year. I've So what? He is not as fast as Tyler Irvin. He cannot contribute in the run game like Irvin did. Uh, he's not as good of a punt returner as Tyler Irvin. I would just rather have another running back if we're at the point where we're talking about Darius Shepard. Finally, I think I've seen enough from Jake Kumaro. This is not to say Jake Kumaro is bad or that the cult of personality that follows him around on the internet um, should be disturbed by what I'm saying about him in any way. Please don't come after me about Jake Kumaro. I think I've just seen enough. He seems like he just is what he is as a player. And if you're looking to tap into his ceiling at this point, I think you're pretty much there already. How much better is he going to be than he was in 2019? Sure, maybe he has more with more opportunities. Yes, they definitely should have been giving him opportunities ahead of Geronimo Allison, but I've seen enough. He may end up on the roster. He may not. I'm just not going to get excited about it either way. Finally, in the final category, all by himself, is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And concerning Mr. Valdez-Scantling, I will say I honestly don't know. Because you can look at numbers that make him seem like a guy who just is right there on the edge. You can look at other numbers that make him seem like a guy who is a one-trick pony who doesn't do his one trick all that well. The truth is certainly somewhere in between. That's how these things always work, right? The problem is, he's going to have a very limited window to figure it out in 2020. Now, things have been changing with how this pandemic situation is shaking out. That is to be sure. But I think it seems somewhat unlikely that everything gets underway exactly how it's supposed to this season. We may have a shortened training camp. There may be nothing resembling training camp at all. You're going to have to ramp up pretty quickly. And how confident are you are you about a guy whose playing time dwindled to practically nothing down the stretch last year on a team that seems more and more run-focused is going to get enough opportunities to really figure it out if he hasn't done something significant on his own already. I think it's a big ask for Marquez Valdez-Scantling to be more than he was in 2019. But I also think he can do it. Because I think we've seen good evidence before of guys figuring things out fairly late in their Packers career. 
It's not exactly late, but James Jones comes to mind as a guy who had some struggles early for the Packers, but kind of put things together as time went on. You'll remember drops were a big problem for uh, James Jones for most of his first four years in, in the NFL. Other than 2008, a game in which he, or a season in which he only played 10 games, James Jones never caught more than 58% of the balls thrown his way in a given year. That jumped all the way up to almost 70% in 2011. He figured it out. He got his head screwed on right. He acknowledged that focus was an issue for him sometimes. I don't know if that's the issue for Marcus Valdez-Scantling, but it seems like it could be. There's something there, potentially, that he could get figured out. Whether or not he will, in what I think we can all agree is a bit of an unusual situation, is a potentially big obstacle. So I honestly don't know what to think about Marquez Valdez-Scantling heading into this season. He is heading into his third year. And this is where I want to take an opportunity to plug a piece that should be coming out either late this week or next at acmepackingcompany.com. I'll also have part of it linked at uh, thepowersweep.com. I'm going to try to start doing that uh, with stuff I publish over there. Just give you a snippet there um, just to, to keep the site a little bit more fully populated with content. Um, but this gets trotted out all the time. The idea of wide receivers in particular making a third-year leap. It's something that Mark uh, Mike McCarthy talked about a lot, guys putting it together in their third year. I've been trying to pull together a little research to see if it's true or not. Full disclosure, I went into it thinking I was going to disprove the, the idea that it even existed. Having poked around a little bit, I think there is reason to believe it might exist, that it might be something that you can look for as a fairly reliable trend. There are some caveats. And I'll give you some of the data right now. This is, of course, just looking at Packers wide receivers. But since 1990, the Packers have drafted 44 wide receivers. Of those wide receivers, 21 have played long enough to give us three years worth of data with the Packers. They've played long enough for us to see whether or not they can actually make a jump in their third year. Among those 21 wide receivers, there is a bit of a trend line that points towards a bump up in production around year three, even stronger in year four. On average, these 21 receivers we're talking about averaged about 14 catches in year one, 28 in year two, 37 in year three, and then 53 in year four. That's a fairly good average. Now, the bad news is this is a pretty limited group. As I've already pointed out, more than half the numbers are getting thrown out. Half the receivers are getting thrown out. So they weren't any good to begin with. They didn't even make it through their first year or into their second year. It's also worth pointing out that another eight or so of those 21 receivers never made it above 30 catches. All right? So it wasn't like their third-year leap was, was into some sort of hugely productive season. You're also getting significant 
increases in the average from guys like Greg Jennings, Devontae Adams, Javon Walker, Antonio Freeman. All of those guys had 75 catches or more. Two of them had 80 catches or more in their third year. You're also also getting some numbers screwed up from a guy like Bill Schrader, who in his third year had 74 catches, but oops, hold on a second. His third year in the NFL was actually his sixth year because he was drafted in 1994, but didn't start actually playing until 1997. Spent some time on the practice squad. So, yes, some guys do make a jump in their third year, but a lot of those guys were pretty good already, and many of them just had to wait until the depth chart cleared up ahead of them. For guys like Equinemia St. Brown or Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. A lot of that, Both of those guys have had opportunities already, and the depth chart doesn't look all that different ahead of them than it did in their rookie year or their second year. Heck, if Marquez Valdez-Scantling couldn't figure out a way to contribute or get on the field last year, I think it's fair to wonder why you would assume he's going to make a jump in his third year. Again, though, we haven't fully finished the piece. I've got a couple more research things I want to look into to see what factors led to guys really jumping, but keep an eye out for that. I will link to it uh, the next time we have an episode. I also wanted to take a second to talk about a piece that I have published already at at acmepackingcompany.com, and it concerns an entirely different part of the football team, uh, young edge rushers. So we talked about this back in our roster preview episode a couple episodes back, but I think this is one of the most wide-open position groups on the team, other than Zadarius and Preston Smith, The Packers have no proven edge rushers. And other than the Smiths and Rashawn Gary, there is nobody on this Packers roster who can even come close to saying they have an an inside track on a roster spot. So I think there are a few guys who we can look at as being real potential factors on the edge. There are enough qualifiers in that sentence. I think so. Don't need to add any more. But I think there are five worth looking at. Randy Ramsey, Greg Roberts, Jonathan Garvin, Tipa Galliai, and Delonte Scott. Ramsey and Roberts, you might remember as holdovers from last year. Ramsey a little bit smaller, 6'3", 238. Roberts, big dude, 6'5", 258. Ramsey can line up a little bit more versatilely. Roberts, more of a traditional big edge. Neither of them really did anything worth speaking about in 2019, but the fact that they were around in 2019 might give them a bit of a leg up. Then you've got Garvin, Galliai, and Scott. Garvin, worth mentioning first because he is a draft pick. Uh, He was productive at Miami. He's long. He's a good athlete. Bit of an inconsistent rusher. Galliai, very light, 229 pounds at 6'5". A bit more productive even than Garvin, but not quite as athletic. And finally, Delante Scott, 
has a little bit of both Garvin and Galliai. 6'5", 246, consistent performer at SMU. We don't have testing numbers on him, but he looks to be a pretty good athlete. But more importantly, you can follow the numbers. If you're looking for one indicator of whether or not a guy has a realistic shot to make the roster, look at what the Packers do with bonuses. The Packers do give out signing bonuses on occasion to undrafted rookie free agents. They gave out signing bonuses last year to both Randy Ramsey and Greg Roberts. Delonte Scott, among the new arrivals at edge this year, is the only one to get a signing bonus. Garvin will get one when he signs his, his, his draft pick deal, but as an undrafted free agent, Scott got a signing bonus. He also had part of his 2020 salary guaranteed should he make the roster. You have to think the Packers like his chances. And I think there's a good chance that one or several of these guys will end up on the roster at some point in 2020. Check out the full piece. Um, It is worth reading, I think, at acmepackingcompany.com. I will link to it in your show notes. That's all I've got for you in this episode. wanted to take a second to tell you that I... There's a fairly good chance this is going to be it for episodes this week. If that is indeed the case, we're going to start next week doing one chapter of Take Your Eye Off the Ball every episode. Because I want to start working through this book a little bit faster, we're going a little bit slower than I would have liked just one chapter a week. So if we get an episode out later this week, we'll do chapter five. Then if not, we'll start with chapter five for next week. And then just do one episode or one per episode after that whenever episodes happen to come out. Um, But in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, if this content uh, made a difference for you, if you think somebody else would enjoy it, uh, do us a favor and share it with somebody. Because that's how we continue this conversation, get more people involved in the conversation, and really help everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.